Welcome to State of the State, the monthly roundup of policy and research for the state of Michigan, brought to you by the Institute of Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and our friends here at WKER Studios. I'm Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director for the Institute. I'm joined as always by MSU economist, Dr. Charlie Ballard and IPSER Director, Dr. Matt Grossman. Gentlemen, we have a lot to discuss today in terms of politics and the economy. With less than 90 days to go before the election, the presumptive Democratic candidate for president, Joe Biden, has chosen his running mate, and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer was in the mix right to the end. Certainly, we're going to be a key state in determining who wins the election. And of course, the economy is going to play a large role, as it always does. So let's get a feel for what Michigan residents are thinking about our elected officials in the economy, with some results from our latest state-to-state -state survey. For that, we turn to MSU economist, Dr. Charlie Ballard, who also serves as managing director of the survey. Charlie, what are the top lines from the latest survey? Well, um, the not surprisingly, uh, there was a drop from the previous survey. We had one in, in February and then another one uh, several months later. Um, and so we had a kind of a pre-COVID and post-COVID and there was a notable drop uh, in the fraction of people who said that they were better off than a year ago. Um, well over 10 percentage points drop. And then there was a, about the same magnitude increase in those who said that they were worse off than a year ago. Although a lot of people said they were about the same, uh, which I think fits with the reality because a lot of people lost a job. But uh, if you're able to work remotely, uh, you probably have maintained your employment and many folks are doing okay. In terms of the ratings of our elected officials, we always ask about um, the president and the governor. Uh, and President Trump's numbers did not move at all uh, pre and post COVID. He, his um, favorable ratings, either a good or an excellent mark, uh, are in the upper 30s. They, they did not budge, whereas Governor Whitmer's uh, favorables uh, increased by about 15 percentage points. She was in the 30s, she's now in the 50s. Um, and uh, that, uh, we also asked uh, a question about how do you think President Trump has handled COVID and how do you think Governor Whitmer has handled COVID? The uh, answers to, to those questions line up very, very strongly with the answers to the questions, the overall, how do you think that they're, they're doing? So uh, uh, it appears that a lot of Michigan residents were um, impressed by the way in which Governor Whitmer has uh, handled the, the COVID crisis. Yeah, that's certainly quite, quite a jump. And, and Trump's numbers have been in that upper 30s range for uh, as long as he's been president. Is that right? They've really never wavered. Yeah, um, we've, we've found him to be uh, pretty consistent and a lot of other surveys have found rather uh, consistent uh, results. He actually uh, drifted up uh, early in some, some surveys, uh, not in ours because we didn't take it as often. In some surveys, he drifted up early in the COVID crisis um, as, as is very common for um, the American people to rally around a leader in a time of crisis. But then his handling of the crisis, uh, once it became a, a apparent that um, he was not taking some actions that a lot of people thought would have been appropriate, uh, his numbers uh, uh, went back down. There is, a, there is a very strong base mm -hmm. of, of folks who 
are going to support Donald Trump no matter what. No matter what, yeah. And then what about how uh, Michigan residents are feeling about the economy related to that uh, pre and post COVID, their current financial situation, whether they're feeling good about it, better or worse off? Yeah, uh, there, was a, there was a big increase in the number who said they're worse off than a year ago, big decrease in the number that they said they were better off than a year ago. In some other questions, uh, we asked uh, uh, more general uh, questions about how people are feeling. And uh, a lot of folks uh, are said that they are feeling uh, anxiety, depression, fear. All right, Matt. Uh, wh what about the political scene now? Uh, Democratic nominee Joe Biden has chosen his running mate. Um, I think uh, Senator Harris was, was pretty much a front runner for the entire entire time, although Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer was certainly in that mix. That, that's good for Michigan. Seems like she's going to be a major part of the Biden team. What's your take on Biden's pick and also uh, the primaries that have just uh, occurred across the country? Well, Harris was uh, the most likely pick from the beginning, um, but there was a few uh, detours on, on the way to her uh, nomination. Um, uh, but uh, the historical evidence um, suggests vice presidential nominees don't matter too much to uh, election results. Uh, people's opinions on them uh, tend not to be very influential in their vote. Um, to the extent that they do have effects, they tend to fade away quite quickly. Uh, there are exceptions to that um, in that they can sometimes change people's views of the presidential nominee. Uh, so, for example, uh, Sarah Palin's nomination made voters more concerned about John McCain's age. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, nomination made voters less concerned uh, about uh, uh, Barack Obama's inexperience. Um, so they can have effects like that. It's possible uh, that Harris will have the same, but we don't really see uh, the typical vice presidential effects that people expect, like the candidate will bring on their state or region or the candidate will bring on the social groups affiliated with them. For example, we did not see women more likely to vote or more likely to vote for uh, their party's nominee um, with either Geraldine Ferraro or uh, Sarah Palin. Um, there are a few differences this time. Um, African-American, uh, of course, has, has never been uh, nominated as a vice presidential nominee, so we don't know um, if there could be effects on turnout uh, that are specific to that group. Um, and it occurs in the time of a strange uh, convention. And a convention which is normally at the same time as the vice presidential nominee typically uh, reinforces partisan support. Um, that is, you get a bump out of the convention, but it's mostly people who would have supported your candidate eventually. Um, and Joe Biden really doesn't need that at the moment. He has overwhelming Democratic support already. So it's, it's not clear if we'll get the same level of convention bounce that we usually do. And then what about the primaries in general? I, I, there were some fairly watched primaries uh, especially even here in Michigan, uh, Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib, a member of the squad, was purported to have a pretty tight race and then won two to one. And uh, I think just the other day, Congresswoman Omar also won her race. Um, and they may have gained another uh, squad member uh, out of Missouri, where a, uh, a uh, younger uh, African-American uh, female 
beat a long-term incumbent in a Democratic primary. Any thoughts on the primaries? Uh, yes. Yeah, so three out of four squad members had primary challenges and they've all uh, defeated them. Um, there have been uh, some additional a few additional uh, left uh, victories in the primaries. We're still having some primary challenges on the Republican side as well. Um, seven is actually uh, the most incumbents to lose uh, at the nomination stage since 1974. Um, and it's actually four Republicans and three Democrats who have lost uh, so far. So we're still uh, seeing uh, more internal party challenges um, than we have uh, in the past. Um, there's also a trend this year of more uh, minority women uh, being uh, uh, nominated um, the most ever. And on the Republican side, actually, the most ever uh, women nominees. Uh, so there, there are some key trends in the primaries uh, this year, um, but it's, it's not clear how many of them will uh, go on to, to matter in the general election and in Congress in the years to come. And what about here in Michigan, uh, where you have a, uh, an important U.S. Senate race? Uh, Gary Peters and John James, uh, Mr. James uh, tried uh, to unseat uh, Senator Stabenow uh, just a few years ago. Um, anything out of the state of the state survey regarding that or, or what are you seeing in terms of that? Are you expecting a tight race? Well, we uh, don't, Charlie may have the numbers in front of him. We don't have a very tight race as of May. Um, we showed Gary Peters well uh, ahead. Um, on nationally, it is uh, the Republicans' best pickup opportunity other than Alabama, which they're expected to, to win back. Uh, but it's still... It hasn't looked very close uh, in the polls uh, so far. Uh, James did gain on Stabenow over the course of the campaign last time, so it's possible he will do that now. He has more money, uh, which is uh, rare. Uh, Democrats in other states have been ahead in the financial uh, race. Um, and he has some opportunity to run a somewhat different uh, race. Um, the Democratic, in, I mean, the Republican incumbents in other states are very tied to Trump. James has tied himself to Trump in terms of positions and defending him, um, but he has a different uh, demeanor. And of course, he's African-American, so he has a, some opportunity potentially to differentiate himself. He's actually running ads against Peters on Peters downplaying the COVID crisis, um, which people normally associate with Democratic ads ads run against Trump. Um, so there are some differences. Uh, Peters is the least known uh, incumbent running for re-election. He, he gets the most people saying they don't know or don't have an opinion of him compared to senators and other race, races. Uh, so they still have an opportunity to uh, mold uh, voters' views of Peters. But bottom line, if it's a Democratic trending year, uh, you just don't expect a uh, Republican to, to win uh, Michigan. And right now you see it as a uh, Democratic trending year as of this point. Well, Biden's up, ahead, up eight points nationally at this point and about the same in Michigan. So uh, that is an unlikely circumstance. But, you know, uh, we, would like, we would have to see a whole lot of Biden-James voters uh, for James to be able to overcome that. That said, Michigan uh, remains a key state, even though uh, reports indicate that uh, the president has pulled ads out of Michigan. You see, still see Michigan as a key state moving forward. Uh, it's still uh, considered a major swing state. Biden is still running ads here. They're, they'll still be campaigning here. Um, but we seem to be on the outs in terms of the, the top tier. It seems like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania are more likely to go 
to be competitive um, than than Michigan at this point. Um, all of that could uh, change. Uh, we, we won't move out of, say, the top eight or ten states, um, but we may not be in that final two or three that get the most attention. Any, any other states right now in terms of the presidential election that you see as key states that may not have been thought of key states in the past, states like Nevada and Arizona in particular? Well, I'd make a distinction between states that, that could go either way um, and states uh, that uh, might actually be pivotal to the outcome. So there is a chance of, a, of Biden winning by a lot. And if Biden wins by a lot, there are a lot of states that could go, uh, that could go Democratic. I mean, even, uh, you know, really out there states uh, like Alaska or South Carolina have some potential for going Democratic in a Biden landslide. But of course, they would never matter to the outcome of the election. They're not going to be right on that pivot uh, of the national popular vote or the Electoral College. So that's why even though we look to these new states, we still look at which uh, states are closest to being the pivotal point um, and are close to the national uh, political picture. And it still looks like Trump has about a two point advantage uh, in the Electoral College over the popular vote. In other words, he could lose by two points in the national popular vote and still win the pivotal uh, states. And those really are still basically the same. Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, um, not a whole lot of change. Arizona is the one case where we could see something different if turnout is, is incredibly high. If turnout's incredibly high, then Democrats have a chance to win Arizona uh, in a way that they might not uh, even if they might lose some of those other states. But it's pretty much the same picture that we had last time. And that's an interesting point you make, that uh, Trump can lose the popular vote by two points and still win the election, much like he did uh, four years ago. And that's almost exactly what happened four years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, Charlie, uh, back to the economy for a moment here. Um, what else did we see from uh, the state of the state survey in terms of uh, Michigan residents' attitudes towards the economy, how they see themselves and the economy moving forward? And, uh, you know, maybe some of your own thoughts as to what we're seeing ac across the country, uh, this stop and start uh, COVID situation. Right. Um, we, I've, I've already mentioned that we ask a question in our survey every time about um, uh, how are you relative to a year ago? And the people who thought they were better off than a year ago went down by double digits. And those who thought they were worse off than a year ago went up by double digits. We also ask, how do you think you're gonna be a year from now? And those also deteriorated, but not as much. And that's a finding that we have found ever since the inception of the State of the State survey a quarter of a century ago that people tend to have a little bit of latent optimism about the future, even if uh, they feel like they have taken a hit. Um, in terms of where the economy is going, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that economists are necessarily a very humble bunch, but I've got to express some humility. Um, it, this forecasting uh, the economy is difficult in normal times, and these most certainly are not normal times. Um, it, it, uh, and the other thing that I have to emphasize is normally in, in a lot of uh, economic downturns, like the one of 12 years ago, 
all we had to worry about was forecasting economic policy and how businesses and individuals would respond to those economic policies. Now we've got to forecast that, but also uh, we've got to say things about how COVID will go because uh, I can't emphasize it too much. We will not get the economy back on track until we get COVID under control. Um, and right now with um, in many parts of the country, infections and deaths on the rise in the last month or so, um, that um, doesn't look all that great for the economy uh, in, the next, in the next few months. Big 10 football is not gonna happen. That, there are an awful lot of people who sell t-shirts and, and uh, hot dogs and, and who uh, provide security at the football games and the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Those are economic activities that are not going to happen. Um, and so I think we're going to likely to see continued downward pressure. We have seen, uh, in terms of overall employment, we've seen a rebound in May, June, and July from April, which was, by many measures, the worst month in the history of the U.S. economy. But we're still at um, unemployment levels that are higher than they ever got during the Great Recession. And so uh, I, I think it's going to—it's likely to continue to be a bumpy ride um, until next year. A lot of forecasts say that, it, assuming we had to get a vaccine sometime in 2021, that by 2022 we'll be able to say that the economy is kind of closer to to normal. Um, but for the next few months, I, I do not see a dramatic uh, improvement, especially since the. The virus is uh, continuing to rage in many parts of the country. Let's talk about the next few months, though, because there's an issue, uh, you know, before the Congress, before the president, uh, about the uh, economic stimulus checks, the unemployment uh, enhancements. Um, the the odd thing, the odd circumstance that we're in right now is that uh, the Democrats are pretty much offering a package that would help uh, Trump's reelection, and he's not taking it. Uh, they uh, want to spend more money. They want to uh, put a check of they've agreed to put a check of $1,200 with Trump's name on it in everyone's uh, account uh, to increase unemployment benefits right before the election. Uh, to uh, make sure that there's no state and local government layoffs right before the election. Those are all things that, that should benefit uh, the economy, at least temporarily, and help Trump's uh, reelection. Uh, but it's the Democrats that are uh, proposing them, and the Republicans are uh, so far not willing to, to go that high. So it's sort of a strange circumstance that, that proves that on occasion, uh, the parties do stick with their uh, preferred policy aims, uh, even though they're uh, kind of would have the opposite uh, political effects uh, that, that you might expect. Any thoughts, Matt, on those executive orders, though, that the uh, president has put forth? Of course, there's a lot of, uh, of nuances to them, shall I say. Um, you know, states would have to chip in. I think it's $100 uh, a month per person that would file for the enhancements. But there is a, uh, a school of thought out there that says they'll be challenged. Um, are they actually workable? 
Uh, they will be challenged and they aren't very workable. Um, I don't think that they, uh, some people immediately call them unconstitutional. I don't think that that's really the issue. I think the issue is more that um, they had to use these workarounds uh, that aren't likely to be very effective. So for example, they had to use the disaster assistance, which they don't have enough money for, uh, to uh, do the unemployment, which they didn't meet the uh, requirements for unemployment benefits under disaster assistance. So they have to not call them unemployment benefits and have this quarter uh, match from the states in a time when they haven't given states any additional money um, and states will be uncertain as to whether they should even go forward with this given that the stimulus package is still under consideration. So I just don't think that many states will do it. And if the states do do it, then they're only gonna last for 30 or 40 days, not for the rest of the year. Similarly, uh, with uh, the payroll tax, he can only defer those payroll taxes rather than actually uh, absolve them. And so businesses are very likely to continue taking them out of workers' paychecks because the taxes are eventually going to be owed. So uh, we may see some effects, but these are just not very workable policies to be done uh, by the executive. And it puts Michigan and other states in difficult circumstance. We don't know how much money is coming in from the federal government and what form that's going to take. That was an interesting assessment I had not heard. The Democrats in Congress were actually offering the president something of a gift, and he's not taking it. Um, that's an interesting assessment. Well, I mean, it, it's it's most obvious with the with the stimulus checks. I mean, if if you say which party is going to benefit from people receiving twelve hundred dollar checks with Donald Trump's name on it right before the election in a time of economic uh, downturn, I think it's pretty obvious that's more likely to help the party of the incumbent president. Mm -hmm. um, and they are okay with it, but they're not making the compromises to actually make it happen, at least, uh, at least so far. Um, and in general, you know, more economic stimulus is going to be better uh, for the immediate prospects of the kinds of economic variables that tend to help the incumbent president. Uh, so the parties are on kind of opposite policy sides of their uh, political interests. So Charlie, as an economist, um have those, uh, you know, the $600 a week checks, have, have, have they helped? Have they hurt? Um, what, what, what should we be doing next? Should the government, uh, should there be additional federal government spending in this area? Uh, I think there should be, although I, I hope that it's uh, uh, more targeted. Uh, the the, the $1,200 stimulus checks, there's a lot of evidence that a lot of that did not um, have the, the usual effect that we hope for of a stimulative fiscal policy because um, the idea is you give people money and then they'll spend it. But many of the avenues by which people would usually spend money are now cut off. Uh, people are not going to uh, on vacation trips. They're not doing a whole lot of leisure um, activities. They're not going to hotels, restaurants, bars, casinos nearly as much as they used to. So a lot of that money got saved, and thus it didn't get re-injected back into the economy. I would contrast those stimulus checks very much uh, with the, uh, I would draw a strong distinction between those and the unemployment checks. Because the stimulus checks went to a broad swath of people, regardless of whether they had suffered any downturn in their current economic life. Whereas the unemployment checks, we know, it, to the extent that the unemployment system works and it's it works halfway decent 
that those are going to people who have recently lost a job. And that means that that's a household that has had a decrease in their, in their income. Those are the ones who are most likely to be able to spend that money. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to make their rent. They'll be able to pay their, uh, uh, pay their, uh, on their, their car loan, uh, et cetera. And so that is, I think there's a very strong uh, argument in favor of uh, continuing enhanced unemployment benefits. Uh, I'm not rigidly in favor of the $600 number. I, I mean, if, it, if, if the Congress can agree on a number less than 600, um, it's way better than, than zero. Um, and so I'm hopeful that some sort of an arrangement can be reached, uh, although um, that remains to be seen. Is there a Matt? How are they coming up with these numbers, Charlie? I mean, six, how did they come up with the six hundred? You, you know, is it just pulled out of thin air? I think it was pretty close to pulled out of thin air. Uh, well, it's it's fifteen dollars um, per hour for a forty-hour week. Right. That's that's what it works out to. So, can we say that Republicans in Congress now believe in a living wage? <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I don't think so. Ne not necessarily. Um, no, I, it was much more likely that we get, would get a number like $600, uh, or 500 or 400 rather than, uh, $532 and 14 cents. Um, uh, and, and Matt is exactly right. It, it's equivalent to a $15 an hour wage for somebody who's working 40 hours a week, which is a normal work week. Now, it, the point has been made by, uh, mostly by Republicans, that that is sufficient that some um, workers may be reluctant to go back to work because if, they're, if you're making $15 an hour from unemployment and your employer is offering you 12, well, uh, there's, uh, there's a reduced incentive there. However, uh, um, I haven't seen any numbers indicating that the magnitude of that effect is very large. Um, an awful lot of the people who are involved here, there's no job for them to go back to. Their employer is not asking them back because their employer is shut down. And there's also a group who are reluctant to go back to work, not because of financial, but because of uh, health concerns. A couple of reports I've seen have indicated that there has been very little impact on people searching for work because of the uh, because of the uh, $600 dollar a week. But if you could satisfy both sides and, and continue the program at 400 or it really almost any number uh, that's substantially greater than zero, I think that would be, have a beneficial effect on the economy. I think we're in a dangerous moment because a lot of the folks, if, if you're unemployed and if you're uh, labor income is the only or the major source of income for your household um, and you're not able to pay your rent. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about a possible increase in evictions um, and uh, regardless of whether people are evicted, if they can't pay their rent, then landlords are going to have, the landlord faces a very difficult situation. No revenue coming in or reduced revenue, and yet the landlord still has to pay the mortgage on the building. Um, worst case scenario is you get a, a kind of a cascade of ripple effects where um, uh, rent isn't paid, um, landlords default on the mortgages associated with their properties. That has um, uh, ripple effects that work their way through the financial system. 
so far, we've we've managed to avoid a, a catastrophic meltdown in the financial system. Although um, on the 16th of March, um, the evidence suggests that the financial markets were very close to systemic collapse. Um, let's hope that through some combination of fiscal and monetary policies, we will be able to avoid the kind of freezing up of the credit markets that happened in 2008 and 2009, because that, of course, contributed to what was the worst downturn since the Great Depression uh, before COVID happened. Unfortunately, the, the political forcing mechanisms aren't, aren't very good. We have uh, basically not much um, that is guaranteed to happen uh, before September 30th when overall government funding runs out, which um, could force a compromise, but uh, could also force a government shutdown. So it also could get worse uh, rather than uh, better in terms of the, the political uh, situation. And by the time it get resol gets resolved, a whole lot of states could have moved forward with their budgeting and that may force uh, some early uh, local government layoffs um, if, if the, there's no guaranteed money coming. Yeah, and I don't think that uh, layoffs of teachers and police officers and firefighters is, uh, is uh, it's not going to look um, uh, good in terms of PR, and it's not going to be good for the economy either. Well, it seems like we're going to have uh, a lot to talk about, gentlemen, over the uh, coming uh, months leading up to the election, for sure. As always, Charlie and Matt, it's a pleasure to be with you and, and, and talk about these issues. That's about all the time we have on this edition of State of the State. My thanks again to Russ White and the staff at WKAR for their continued support of this program. And join us again next month on State of the State.